everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jason here with Brian as always. And once again, we are joined by the man himself, Pastor Bernardo Porter from Gastonia, North Carolina. Great to have you back again, Bernardo. We've been doing a few of these podcasts with you. And honestly, every single one of them, I enjoy more and more. I learn so much from you, from your experience, and uh, it gives me an opportunity to sit back more and just listen and learn, which I appreciate. So glad to have you back on, man. Man, thanks. I'm glad to be here. It's always good to be um, on the podcast, and I'm um, just great, you know, grateful for the opportunity just to be able to be around brothers that uh, have a genuine heart for just um, just everything. You know, just want to learn, want to know, and we all are in the same um category when it comes to being men but then we don't understand everything that we're experiencing from culture so it's been a pleasure and i appreciate you guys thinking enough of me to bring me back so one one of the things we wanted to cover tonight um we'd we'd been talking a lot the last few weeks especially and really the whole idea of uh, fathering is is at the core of outbound life and mission 300 i know that's something that's been a part of your life, a part of your ministry a lot. And so we kind of wanted to get a bit more of a perspective from you on how you've seen that importance as a pastor, um, as a leader in your community, as a man, as a father yourself. How have you seen that as an important role to be played out? Well, um, as far as me, um, it's, it was really tough for me because I started out wanting to be, I started out a father unexpectedly and um, as a teenage father and just, just didn't know what that, just really didn't know what that was. I wanted to be a, I knew I was a father and I said, okay, what do I need to do uh, to take care of my child? And I just went straight to what I knew in the neighborhood. I saw, I had a great father, but he was going through some alcohol situations. Um, and, and it just took me through this road and maybe, you know, we could get into it sometime or maybe even tonight. But I, I learned from what I saw, but also what I was seeing in the street on how what I thought fatherhood was. And it wasn't that important to me, except just I need to do it. I didn't understand the love I was going to have for a child. I didn't understand the responsibility of what was going to make me a father. Um, I was 16 years old, just turning 16. So I really didn't know what the responsibilities were from experience but i knew that you pay bills you buy pampers you know you do those things that you're supposed to do pay for food that basic stuff but never really understood the protection the the impartation you know what am i going to teach my daughter you know i know about protecting her but i didn't understand you know when she starts to get older and she wants things from daddy and you know, she starts a cycle and all of that stuff. I didn't think about that stuff. So what it means to me now as a man, just really making a big skip, what it means to me now as a father, as a man, is just so unreal of the patience and the that you should have, that you got to have with your children. So it's really, uh, I'm really learning a lot of patience as I get older, even at the, the sweet age of 44, uh, I'm learning that patience and being an advisor versus a manager of your children. Once you get to a certain age and once the children get to a certain age, you become an advisor to your children and not a manager. And I think a lot of times as a father, we try to manage our children's lives instead of advising them. And that's where we get the rebellion from our children. Even early on, even if they're in your household and they're still underage, 
you still have to learn the, the, the technique of advising them if it's going to allow them to make a decision that may not be the best decision, but it's not going to harm them. So I'm learning that even as a pastor and a community leader that, you know, even if, if my daughter is 16, I give her advice and let her make a decision, but let her come back to me and say, hey, what did you decide? And then if she made that, say, a great choice or let's see how it works. So I think the biggest thing is fatherhood is more about management and advising and I think and patience. So that's that's where I am with, with fatherhood. And Bernardo, can you share a little bit more about your family? Because you have a pretty great family and you've gone on to put together and live a life that's actually developed some amazing kids and and you have a great wife. So can you maybe describe your family a little bit? Sure. So uh, we have a blended family. So a, a blended family of um, just with my wife. My wife, she birthed three children. And two of the children happened to be my biological children. But the middle child is a child that uh, is my additional child through his uh, uh, biological father. But I've had him since he was two years old. Then I have two children outside of those three that have two separate mothers. So I have three women that have mothered children for me. And two of them have, I have a son and a daughter that's outside of my marriage before we were married. And, um, and so it's a blended family. And so I have a stepchild, but my wife has two stepchildren, but we have five all together. And then we have two grandbabies. And one of the grandbabies is from my stepson. Uh, my additional son, as I like to call him, and then one from my biological son. And so that dynamic is so different. And that's where I had to learn. Even now I'm learning. You know, we, we, we've we been married for 19 years. We were sort of like high school sweethearts, sort of whatever that was at the time. And then we just kind of built this relationship. And so, my, so I have uh, five children. I have an older daughter. She'll be 27 on July the 18th. Then I have another son. I have a son. He's uh, 25. Then I have two boys. They are um, 22, 22 years old, and they're 10 days apart, different. Uh, and so it's like having twins. Then I have a 16-year-old daughter. So three boys and two girls, and the boys are in the middle. So they're very special. They're different in their own right. And uh, it's just the dynamics of having a blended family, You have to you have to really be careful on how you discipline. Um, how you discipline a blended family, it, it's really, it's really, it's really scary at times because when they're young, because one may think you're harder on them if they're the additional child, even though you're just as hard on the one that you had biologically, and so that additional child may feel like you don't like them because you're dealing with them harder that they think, and really you may see more in them than you actually see in the others. So it. Building a family for the last 18, 19 years has been very difficult, but it's been it's been worth it because you start seeing them develop and everything you teach them when they're younger, you start to see it bloom and develop. And you're like, OK, here we go. They did listen 20 years ago. Yeah. You took on something and you could look at your the decisions you made growing up and all that stuff. And I think this is really an important, important piece. Regardless of the decisions you made, you've chosen to take that into a different realm uh, with you and Cherie, bringing in all of those pieces. 
and and letting God first of all you've invited God into that whole picture to to start blending all this together so you've had to learn on every level you didn't just have your family and what you planned now you have things that you didn't necessarily plan but now you see how much you love and care for them so they're not devalued because they weren't necessarily planned but then now you brought together a family and a cohesive one where Besides all the normalcy of problems that you just have with siblings and some of the dynamics, you still have managed to bring a cohesiveness with your whole family together. How'd you learn that? Like, how did you come to the point where it's like, because that wasn't easy, right? It's not easy just having kids you plan for. Now you have kids that you didn't necessarily plan for. I don't mean that you don't want. I want to be clarify that. Doesn't mean that there's not some significant God-infused value in each one of those kids and they're special to God. But now you're having to put all those pieces together. What what was that like? Well, my father, my father, Finley Thomason, he, it was the same situation for me uh, and my sister, my sister and I. So my my sister and I um, were not my stepfather's children. But when he took my mother, um, the, the quick story was, um, he was working at the housing authorities where he was fixing on people's apartment complexes. And he happened to be working next door to my mom's apartment. And I come to the door with a pamper on with no shirt. And so I go out the door a little bit. and She's watching me as I go out the door. And I started bothering my stepfather at the time. And he wasn't my stepfather. I started messing with him. And she said, leave that man alone. He's got work to do. And then he said, he's all right. He's fine. Like that. And then and she jokingly said to him, well, he's looking for a daddy. And he was like, well, be careful what you ask for. And they, it went from there to he became my father. I was a year and a half. Well, he took me in. And every time uh, as we got older, my father would have uh, Social Security and stuff like that. And he had my other two uh, siblings. And when they asked him for how many children did he have, he would always say four. Now, he wasn't talking about he, he didn't birth us or what. He would say four. He always took responsibility for my sister and I. Even though biologically we were not his and he received, he always made sure that we ate like everybody. And he showed me how it is to be able to take responsibility of a blended family. And so I didn't think about God whenever I had these babies. I wasn't thinking about the whole bringing the whole dynamics of who God was in my life. I was thinking about getting paid, get these children, take care of them. But then as, as time allowed, as God started just really working on my heart, that whole dynamic of what my father did with my my children, with me, I started doing with my children. I knew it was going to be tough that they they had other fathers. You know, he had another father. My daughter being raised, my other daughter being raised by her stepfather. I had to take on myself and say, listen, God, I know these are my children. I love them and what I imparted to them, they'll come back to me. They, they're loved. It was very difficult to really put that in perspective. It was really just one of those things that my father showed me. And I, it worked, saw the results with my life and my, and my siblings. And I said, well, if it worked for him, it's got to work for me. And he was not as patient as I am. And so it was very difficult to really look at my wife and know that she had another person she felt she had to answer to um, as a man and concerning their child. I didn't like that. Uh, so, but I had to be patient and understanding. And at the same time, I also had to put in boundaries so that my heart wouldn't be broken off of old relationships and old soul ties. So really when you have blended families, I'll speak to anyone that has blended families, it's very important to put boundaries in place with the other parents. 
Boundaries are very important. Reasonable boundaries are very important, not because you're insecure, but because you know that you just want to keep um, truthful people and faithful people faithful. You don't want to give them a reason. So you put boundaries in place um, for the safety of your relationship and the protection of your, your, your loved ones. And those hearts, those soul ties are something different. It's interesting that all of that stuff was demonstrated to you. You learned it by observing someone. And it, it's, I see that repeated so many times as we've been talking to, um, you know, before this call, we had, we were talking to some college guys in the U S here, even, especially the last few weeks, we've been asking these questions on how did someone get to where they were? How did they get through these things? And there's this recurring theme is they saw it modeled in someone and usually a father figure. And it, at times I wonder how often we look at problems people are going through and we just think you're an idiot. You should be able to just start making the right decisions. Well, do we ever ask, has that person ever had an example in front of them of someone they can relate to and glean from that has shown them the way? And especially if you think about that with kids, like I can get frustrated with my kids for not doing something the right way, or I can show them the right way because they're kids and they're growing and I'm their father. And that's my role to lead them in it. I wonder how often we, we jump to that, you know? Yeah, we miss that a lot. Uh, often when I'm talking to a youth ministry and the parents are there and I tell the parents, you just happen to be listening. You're not really in the room, but you get to listen in on this conversation that I'm having with the youth. And so I'll bring the youth into a place of agreement and I'll ask the question and say, how many people or how many youth are upset at the fact when your parents tell you to take the trash out and then they'll grab the trash and they'll take the trash out and they come back in and the parent yells at them for not putting a bag in the trash can. And then they say, everybody raised their hand. And then, um, and I said, parents, I know, you know, it doesn't make sense that the child took the trash can, took the trash out and came back in and didn't put the trash back in it. But you never taught them how to properly take out the trash. You told them to take the trash out. You didn't say take out the trash and then come back and put a bag in it. You just assumed that that was the most common thing to do is to take out the trash and then and come put a bag in it. But we don't teach the lesson we tell people what to do or we tell our children what to do and we don't model you know say hey i'm going to take this trash out come walk with me take the trash out you go out you take trash you come back in you put the bag in it or you check it and see if it needs to be cleaned out we don't take them through the process we just say do it and then when they do it wrong we yell at them or we are disappointed in them and then they're trying to figure out what happened you know i did what you told me to do and so we uh, not having a model, whether it's in the house of just simply taking out the trash or how to properly wash the dishes, not just throw them in the dishwasher. And even if you do that, how do you properly put it in the dishwasher? You know, the cups go here. The, we don't teach it. And then we get upset if they don't add up to our expectations of assumption. How important do you think this role of father is and family to our society? And we're not dealing with there's so much we were talking before we got on. There's so much going on in our world. There's real problems. There's real conflict. There's things that just can't be ignored. But sometimes it gets so big that it's hard to know where to start going after that. We start going after that surface. But how much do you think this this daily, the the father, the family, and that structure plays into how we respond to those things. I think that's probably the better answer. Not that those things don't exist, but how we respond and what is our interaction with them. Well, this, I'll say that this problem is probably a, a whole nother conversation, 
But as general children and fathers, I believe the role of a father is primary. I believe it's priority. I believe it's number one. Not that mothers and women don't do a great job um, helping nurture our children. And even if they, they do it on their own, they can help um, rear a child in a way that they're great and respectful citizens and all of that stuff. I still feel that they have a void. They'll never be complete without a father. And the reason why I say that is because the father, those that know that the father carry both um, both genes, they have both things where he has a Y chromosome and an X chromosome. And with the Y chromosome, the Y chromosome is the only one that can make a boy and make a male child. And so with that, whenever you have a male child involved, um, the father has, a, the, the child has a piece of the father that the woman cannot give. The mother cannot produce that at all, ever. And so when that piece is missing, that connection is missing, that's inside of that child, even though he can grow up and be a great young man, but it still is missing the piece that the father has to impart into that child. I think it's, it's really bad for our society, you know, overall. You know, the basic stuff is what it is, but that missing how we respond to a father being in our lives. We can respond better down the road than we are without a father figure, because I've seen men cry and say, I've never had my father. I've seen men cry on me. I've seen grown men take another male and say, you're like a father to me. And they're different in age. It's because what they're being taught, what they've been led to do and how they've been shown things. And they have to be humble enough to even receive from another man because ego gets in the way. So I think when the male is missing, the father, the male is missing in the life, whether stepfather, whatever, or male figure at all. When that father is missing, then that child, male or female, is going to miss the greatest part of who they are because that's how God made it. And I hope that doesn't sound sexist or sounds some type of thing. I just know because it starts with the father, you know, it starts with our father and he birthed his children and then he created himself even the more and split us as male and female. He laid us down and took her out of us. So she was inside of us. He took the most sensitive part of us and, and put it on the outside of us. And all he did, he just made us again and just let us marry each other. And I, I, I tell that all the time that, when you see your wife or your spouse, she is the you that you don't see. And so whenever you see her, she is you. And so how you treat her is how you treat yourself. If you yell at her, you must yell at yourself. You're yelling at yourself. And so with the children, when she birthed the child, you gave her something to incubate, to be able to nurture. And so when she nurtures you again and she lets you come out of her, then it's the same way how you should be there for yourself which is your child, it's you all over again. And so once I started seeing that, I started taking on a whole nother approach of teaching and showing men that, listen, when you have this woman, that's you. And then when she has this baby, that's you again. So you, that's how you're treating yourself is, is determined how you treat the people that surround you. I think, I think there's a pretty deep layer to that too. And so before, before um, we started recording tonight, we were talking about this a bit as it relates to pastoring and leading. And I'm actually curious um, for both of you on, on your perspective on this, because you've both been pastors, you've both been leaders in different capacities in churches and outside of it. And so we look at a father in a biological sense, they bring something to the table and to the raising of that child that the mother cannot bring. She can say the same words. And that goes to the difference between teaching someone and telling someone, as Bernardo, you were talking about beforehand, 
There's a difference between telling someone something, especially from the pulpit, and teaching them something. And in a, a biological sense, I think that's true. A mother can tell the children the same thing that a father can tell them and teach them, but there's a different effect. And again, we're not going to do all the disclaimers on, we're not trying to lower the status of mothers. Everybody already knows how amazing and important mothers are. We're all in agreement on that. Amen. Hallelujah. That's a true thing. And and that, and I mean, I've got a great wife, I've got a great mother, and, and all that. So, but my point is, do you think we've seen things in, in our culture and in churches that have tried to replace that or try to find a substitute for that for whatever reason? So one of the things that I, I see in a lot of people is as they relate to God in the church, they'll, they'll say, yeah, I know God's my father, but there's no interaction with him like he is an actual father. It's more that he's God up there and there's communication sometimes. It's like an absent father or a distant father. But we have things in the church to kind of supplement that or kind of replace that. And I wonder if we see the same things culturally or if you guys have seen those same things um, as pastors and leaders. Well, I, I think one of the biggest thing in this, what's, what's great about this call is we have three different cultures being involved here. And so from a Thai culture, this was one of the number one issues they found within the probation system and in their society as well, is that, so just culturally as a kid, when you are, when you grow up, your father, you don't ask your father questions. You're told what to do by your father. And there's a disconnect already between the father and the child, even in the relationship here. Now, when you remove that person altogether, you have this this longing and it's we've talked about this for years if you do not know where you came from you will either or it was something bad that you came from you will either run from it you will begin pursuing something else to fulfill it or you will if it was good you will seek it it's it is just written within our dna that we need to know who our father is and when it comes to God, we sometimes have done the same thing. And I, we had talked about this before, that we're, our relationship with God is either we're doing so, that we're, we're here to do something for him, or we find out he's this good God, so now we're here to get something from him. But the thing that he desires the most is to do something with us. And I think that some of the things you're talking about, Bernardo, is it's yeah, there's times that you're instructing and you're teaching. But you know what your kid is really watching is how do you do it? Show me how. I want to do it with you. I don't want you to do it necessarily for me. I mean, sometimes our kids do. There's the the jobs that nobody wants to do that our kids want us to do it for them. Or they want the toy, they want the thing. But in general, the heart is, I want you to do it with you. I don't want you to do it for me. It's kind of like you're showing them something like of a new game. Okay, let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. Like they want you to get out of the way so they could do it, but they don't know how to do it. But they don't want you to leave either. They want you to be with them as they grow into that. And, and that's our relationship with God. That's really what, what he was looking for. So in an essence, that relationship he wants with us is really what the father is to be. And it's something you just described earlier, Bernardo. Of, of what that looks like. And so I think I think the two have had a great effect. And you can see that in scripture as well with Malachi saying, unless I restore the heart of the father back to the child and the child back to the father, a curse will come on the earth. And I think we've seen that globally. 
every culture, every, every time that relationship is broken for a long time in a culture, the culture goes bad. When that's good, yeah. and I'm not talking about a tyrannical, overbearing, patriarchal world. I'm talking about just the role of the father, which means the role of the mother is more valued, which means the role of the children are more valued, which means the role of the community around that family is more valued. When everybody gets into their role, not not position of equality, because everybody's equal, but the roles are different, and that's how we function. And so I, I see that playing in every realm from our relationship with God to our relationship with the family. And I would say it's even much more in the relationship with the church because it's the reality is it appears most church services cater more to momming a congregation into reality versus fathering a congregation into reality. And you still need the nurture of a mother, but you need the outside influence of what the world looks like on the outside that the father brings. I, I totally agree. And I can, uh, to add to that, a lot of times, even inside of the church, uh, as a church family, and one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that no one wants to follow the father that they had growing up. So they see the pastor or they see God in the, in the realm. Some people will either see God in the realm of what they want to see a father like. And if he does not give them what they're looking for from a father, then they say that he's not a good father because they want to be spoiled. Or they're looking for the father that always yells at them and they only a hard love. They, that's what they're used to. Even from a pastor to God himself, they're, they'd rather a, a pastor be so hard on because that's all they only respond to what they grew up with. And so um, you see that dynamic in relationships, whether it's a wife. My wife, uh, she'll tell you, she never, she didn't grow up with her biological father. She grew up with her stepfather for from years, and he was just a military guy. And so, what she was looking for when she got married, not his sternness and meanness, but his consistency and providing. Uh, but he didn't show the love and the compassion. So when she got we got married, she was looking for the pro the provision of her father. But she didn't understand the love that I was giving, the patience I was giving her, and the the things she didn't care anything. She cared, but she didn't. She didn't know how to respond to that. And that's the same thing in the church. I you know, believe that you know I was struggled with my wife was okay. We need these bills paid. We need this to be done. We need this to be done. I'm like, okay, I love you. She's like, hold up, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I love you. Are we going to get this done? Yeah, we get it done. When? Whenever we get it done. But come here, let me hug you. No, she that stuff was like foreign to her and so it's in the church the church how they respond to the pastor how they respond to god's love may not be the type of love that they have and so some people don't believe that god loves them unconditionally because when they're out doing these things that he cannot love me and i'm doing this right here and so the church sometimes rebel only because they're not used to the type of love that god has as a father how he really, you know, he doesn't want us to live in an unrighteous life. But since we're there and we're still his children, he's saying, hey, I'm patient with you. You know, I'm giving you grace, not because I want you to keep doing it, but I want you to get it together. And so I'm giving you, and then people are confused. Some people are confused because God will still bless them after they just messed up. Like, what is this? They're used to getting punished or disciplined. You know, that's what they grew up with. And if they didn't have a father mm -hmm. at all, they really don't know what they're looking for. Um, there's six, uh, I think there's six needs of people, you know, and uh, one of the guys told me that today we're talking about the six different needs of people. 
And one day I'll, I'll grab that for you guys. And it was like, you know, some of the things that all connected and that makes us feel fulfilled. So uh, it's been tough watching people who don't, who haven't had a father. And then they're looking for, we're wanting them to respond to God. But they're like, listen, he's like you said, Brian, he's up there. I'm down here. He's, he's, he's present, but not present. You know, it's kind of like the dad that works all the time. He'll come yep. in. You know he's going to come home. You know he lives there. Yeah. You know, but he works all the time. And I know he loves me. He'll pay for stuff. He'll take care of stuff. But we don't get to spend time together. But I know my dad loves me. You know, so they feel like God will be there when he needs to really, really be there. Until then, I'm you know, I'm hanging out here with mom, the church, the the mothering of the church, the, the pacifying. But to be fathered is a totally different thing because discipline comes in play. And that, like you said, that can look different in people's perception. So I think a lot of our work sometimes as pastors and leaders and just people that are leading in general, when you're trying to expose someone to a new way of thinking, a lot of the work you have to spend undoing things that they assume. So the perfect example of how people were raised by their father on earth is how they're going to naturally assume God operates, because that's what I saw as a father. And if God's my father, well, he's got to have those same characteristics. And you almost have to unlearn that way of thinking and rediscover what a true father is meant to be from how God is the example of that. And so on one hand, there's there's all this, this built up assumptions in people that we've got to demonstrate something different too and demonstrate the real way. And on the other hand, I, I wonder if people look at that problem and think, that's just a lot of work. Can't we just move the conversation away from fathering and come up with a different solution? Like I see that in a lot of different areas and it, it scares me at times. And I wonder if that's, that's some of the frustration that's bubbling up in churches right now. So I know Brian, you've had conversations with people, but I've also, um, there's a lot of pastors in our area here that they're reopening and they're really upset because the people that were clamoring, Hey, we need to reopen the church. They didn't show up. And so those people that were part of the church, they were part of the body. They're not, following in the footsteps. And I wonder if that kind of goes back to a bit that we've created this environment where we've we've catered to the emotions and the feelings and we've done a good job mothering people, but we haven't fathered them. And so now and and maybe it's not related to that. Maybe maybe it's this, you know, it's this different time. We've never experienced this stuff. We've never had this technology and this pandemic at the same time. So maybe that's why people are acting that way, but I can't help but wonder if part of it is because we've gotten so used to not having this aspect of a father in a spiritual sense, in a natural sense, whatever it is. Well, I, I can say, man, there's a lot of people uh, from a male perspective, we don't know our roles. And Brian hit on it earlier. We don't know what the role of a man is, more so the role of a father. You know, and when I say role, it's like, you know, what is our responsibilities from provision? Not saying that we have to be the breadwinner, but we still need to be a provider. You know, I can provide with vision of my household and then my wife may make more than I am, but because I still present a vision of my household and I stick to it and I stay on top of it, but I make sure I'm supporting the work ethic of the family um, doing all this together, they will, they will see that, okay, dad may not make the most money, but dad's he's the head of the household. He doesn't usurp his authority over us. He makes sure that we're all on the same page. And if mom has a great idea and it's working, he lets her roll with it. But if it comes down to it, he says, no, we're not doing anything. Then the whole house shuts down. 
And so we don't know our roles, the proper way to handle our roles as a general generalization of because I've seen years of years where men would say, I have um, I have a man cave. Anybody have a man cave on here? Anybody in here? So that's the most sacred room in the entire house. They won't go in there and mess with anything. When men have men caves, you can put up all your memorabilia, your football stuff, soccer stuff, whatever you want in your man cave. People know that's the most sacred room. You just don't bother that room for any reason at all. But why is that the most sacred room for the man when really the whole house can be just as sacred? And so because we will say, okay, this is mine and we'll use that um Father of authority in a, in a way, and I'm, you know, we just use it, but everybody respects that. So in the church, a lot of men don't really know how far to go in their role without being so demanding and so much of a, um, I don't know what the word to use, but we'll give up so much authority, the rightful authority. And I say that with respect to our, our wives and women, we'll give it up. And then we'll say, honey, whatever you like, whatever you do is fine. Whatever you do. Hey, I'm just to keep peace. But then whenever we decide to kind of man up a little bit, we're like, no. And then it becomes problem. It's the same thing in the church. Women have moved the church forward. And then all of a sudden, when it seems like we're trying to do things, then all of a sudden it's like, it's, it's a riffraff in the church. And so people like, you know, like what you just said, Jason, they're not used to this new culture of internet and social media and running church from the internet. They're used to being close and together and people are mad that they're opening up and some people are mad that they're not opening up. And so it's like, how do you handle that as the head and the role of the, the head of the household, the head of the church? Uh, I do believe that sometimes we have spoiled the people and not spoiled them from a standpoint because we didn't have the internet before. But I think we spoiled them from a standpoint of just trusting God, believing in God. This is what God says. So I think there's a lot of stuff that's missing that we may not be able to fix for a long time. You know, maybe Bernardo in, tell me if this is kind of clarifying. We we have terms that we use that have become bad. Well, our whole world is about new new definitions of everything. But if if we look at the term authority, responsibility, leadership, role, none of those things give you permission to control somebody else. They're not, they're not terms that are defined of what you get to make somebody else do and to put them into subjection. None of those are um, dictatorial type words. So for instance, if I have a role, then I'm responsible for that role. But it doesn't mean somebody else doesn't have a say and doesn't have a role and my role is better or stronger. It's just what I'm responsible for. So for instance, a lot of times me and my wife were making a decision over something and she has a, a better idea, which a lot of times she does. But once we come into agreement on that idea, I own the responsibility of that decision. I can't go back and later and say, see, it didn't work out. It's your fault. No. If it goes bad, it's my fault. That's me taking the role and the responsibility and the weight of that decision. So it, it doesn't mean, well, whatever the husband's, whatever he says goes. No, it's a collaborative. But someone finally has to own the decision. Even if it wasn't my idea or my decision or my plan, once I agree as the father, I own all the ramifications of that. I can never go back and say, you gave a bad idea. 
It's your fault. You deal with it. No, because as a father and a husband, I own that. Yeah, I agree that you own it if you if I, I agree that you own it if you decide to agree with it. Um, but I won't. Uh-huh. But I won't own it if I didn't decide to agree with it. I, if I say I disagree, if you do that, so be it. And I'm straight up and I'll say, listen, I don't agree. I won't have anything to do with that. If that's what you want to do, so be it. And if it if it does not work, I do not claim it. Only if I agree. Because one of the things I, I, I've learned as in the role, like we don't dictate over another human being. At the same time, you know, we have to ask ourselves, is this going to benefit our purpose as a family? Is this going to benefit our purpose of, I don't care if it's going to eat, you know, are we going out to eat when we have food in the place here in the house? Or are we just going out because we just want to go out, whatever. And she wants to go out. I said, well, I'm, I'm not with it. You know, I don't want to go. Or, you know, I don't think we should go out to eat and she go out to eat. I said, that's on you. But then later on, if we're short $50, you went out to eat. You know, I, I, if I made the statement or whatever, and I, I know that sounds kind of vague or kind of like petty, but I don't claim, I don't own anything that I did not agree to. But like you said, if you agree, say, you know what, let's do it. I'm with you. And then it goes bad. Yes, own it 100%. But if I say, nope, I don't agree with that. And if you do it, that's, that's, that's fine or whatever. But I'm not with it. So whatever you do is on you. I will stay there because I feel like that's what we mess up. We'll take on stuff sometimes when we should just say no. Because we want to keep the peace. We want to keep the peace in the household. Because for one, we may want to see her later on. We might want to hug and kiss. So we'll just sign, you know, go ahead and whatever. And then when it goes bad, we're like, I should have said no. So no, I've learned that keeping the peace sometimes actually makes war later. So I'll just rather go ahead and get it out the way now. So that if it goes wrong, and I won't be like, ah, I told you, but I'm more like, you know, I'll let her get her grief out, whatever, and I'll be silent. And she knows I wasn't in agreement. What can we do to fix it together? And you're not a jerk about it if something does go wrong, but but that's a that's a really interesting point. So how do you how do you teach people that haven't had that modeled in front of them? How do you teach people the the confidence as an individual to essentially stand for what you believe, and while at the same time having to face pressure from everyone around you that says, well, if you don't, then you're not in unity, then you're dividing us, then you're against me. Because they're they're very different things. Like you standing and saying, you know what? I just don't believe in this thing, and you do, so you're going to do it, and I'm not going to do it. And, And those two different people on two different stances. But that's not what we seem to have in our world. We have Here's what I think is right. And if you don't go along with it, then here's my thousand social media friends and we're going to make you look like you're trying to destroy the world with your disunity. Yeah, well, I watched my father. I watched my father stand for what he believed and based on principle. So a lot of stuff I do, my my decisions are not based on what I know. It's based on what I know by principle. So and it, it may not even be a Bible scripture, but it is a principle that I know works. You know, I know if you say you're going to keep throwing this ball up in the air, but you expect him to stay in the air. The law of gravity says it's not going to stay in the air, but you just really believe. I said, well, you go ahead, keep throwing it up there. I'm not going to, I'm not supporting that, that foolishness. And when it doesn't work after a thousand times, you come look at me. I just thought that it would, no, I don't care if it had helium in it. I don't care. I'm going to stand on the principles that I know. 
And then I'd rather fail on my own decision, you know, to stand and, and it worked for you. So, well, it worked. I'm glad it worked for you. I may not reap the benefits of trust and faith in it because if I just stand there and over the years, my wife and I have developed this thing that, hey, I'm not going to be a jerk about it, you know, but I'm not going to agree with you and vice versa. And when it works for us, we just move on. Oh, well, it worked. You know, it's a, it's an element of surprise for both of us and we'll laugh about it. But how to teach that? You have to know who you are. Number one, you have to know what you stand for. You have to know what principles you're standing on. And you have to make sure you're not just being a person that uh, always has to be right. You have to be true to yourself and understand, are you well versed in this thing that you're discussing? Do you even know why you're saying no? Are you saying no just to have authority? Are you saying no because you wanted to do it and they came up with the idea first? You know, you have to be at a place where you mature and say, you know what? I don't know much about this decision you're about to make. I'm not comfortable with it totally. But, you know, you go ahead and I don't have a decision. I don't have anything to say. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Or if you know it doesn't work, you say, nah, that's not going to work. I'm not with it. Or you say, you know what? Let's give it a shot. I'm with you. We have to be honest with ourselves to say that we don't know everything. But whatever we do know, we have to stand on it and just either reap the consequences of not going with it or reap the benefits of the fact that you chose not to go with it or vice versa. Just have to be true to yourself. That's how I, I'm able to stand. And sometimes I don't win, you know, but I'm okay with the fact that, oh, okay, I thought it would be that way. So it didn't work. Well, you described something that's really powerful is the fact, you know, we, we get to freely choose our decisions, what we agree to, what we don't agree to, but within your role, this is where you're going to stand. And if there's a benefit, there's a benefit. If there's a reward, there's a reward, and if there's a consequence, there's a consequence, but I'm still going to just own that whole thing. And you're talking about knowing who you are and owning that decision. That's at the core of fathering in the sense that it's easy to have an idea, and I spend all my time persuading you, convincing you, uh, manipulating you, making you feel bad, shaming you into that to get you to go along, and then I hold you responsible if it doesn't work. Like, if you want to do that, then you have to also own the responsibility. And I think that's something you've learned over all these years is, yeah, you made some good choices and you made some bad ones. I'm talking about just in just your inner dynamics of growing a good family when you started really hitting on that. But even in that, some of them were like, you know, this principle, but it didn't feel like it was right. It didn't feel like it when you got the backlash, but you stayed to it. And that's part of the, I think we're all hungry for that. Even if you're wrong but you're true to it and you stay. There's something that's admirable that's like, okay, but at least he's consistent with that whole process, which is part of that stability of a father. You can't be afraid of the betrayal that comes from family. We don't realize that family will, the Bible talks about in multiple scriptures, how family will, um, when they see you doing the righteous thing, and I'm not talking about the right thing, but the righteous thing, you're holding fast to principles. And they see the faith that you have in God and the faith that you have in his word, the faith that you have in what he said he will do for you, never leaving you, nor forsaking you, providing all your needs according to his riches and glory. But you are broke over here, financially looking broke, but you still trust in God. And they're like, you crazy to be keep doing this and you stand on the foundation and the promises of God. And then the family, when you come through and you stand on it and all of a sudden God bless you for your faith. 
Not because you actually were totally, totally right, but he knew that you had enough faith in him that he could do it, so he'll do it. And then people look at then they'll turn on you because you had enough faith to actually trust God. And the betrayal is because they'll start looking at you like, oh, you think you're better than everybody else. What? I, I struggle with the fact of going against the brain, hoping that it worked. And then now that it worked, family starts betraying you. Like, Brian, I'm sure it wasn't the best decision in, in the world that they thought that you and Val made to go to Thailand and move your children to Thailand. All of a sudden, just, hey, guys, we're going to Thailand. and We're going to go and start a ministry over here. We're going to be, yeah, people are on your team, but I'm sure I am so sure that everybody was not on the same train with you or plane to say, yeah, this is a great decision. How dare you take those children so small over to a land? And do you know people kill people over there? Do you know that they can't serve God the way? Do you? What are you thinking? So I'm sure that when family, you made that decision, they some people, family, because this the night is about family, you've been the headship in the father, you taking your children on, and all of a sudden now you're over there. I'm sure that was like, that's not the best decision, Brian. And then all of a sudden, as God has elevated and moved it, oh man, you're the most promoted by certain people who did not think that you were making the right decision. I've been through that, you know, so I know how family will turn on you, and it's not like they desire to, but when they see God bless you. And they see that you're standing on the foundations of God and the principles, man. Family will there's there's betrayal uh, sometimes that happens in in that, and it's like man, it's a, it's an unconscious betrayal. So in in your guys's experience, for both of you, would you say it's the mark of a father to always strive to make the right decision, or the mark of a father is to stand firm in your decision based on your identity once it's been made? Because I think a lot of times, will people will assume that the highest goal is to make the right decision. But the problem is the right decision is going to be depending on who you ask. And, and again, Brian, you're in a perfect example because I'm sure there was a lot of people throughout your entire history, not just with the move to Thailand, but you know, you shouldn't do things this way. And Bernardo, I'm sure you face the same thing. I face that. You shouldn't do it this way. You should do it this way. So what the right decision is will depend on who you ask and their perspective and what time of day it is. So would it be a better mark of a father to just have confidence and stand firm in making a decision because it's your decision and moving on? And, and I, if that is the mark, if that is the goal, is there a danger? What if you make the wrong decision? Because that's, that's the thing in the back of everyone's mind. Well, what if you're so confident and so arrogant as a man, as a father, that you make the wrong decision? That's a great question. Um, I don't think it's um, one or the other. If I had to choose one, I would say it would be be confident in the decision that you finally decide to make, but not only be confident in it, but have knowledge in it and be stand on. You have to stand on something that God honors, which is his principles. The elementary truth, the word principle is the definition of principle is elementary truths. So if we stand on the elementary truths of God and we stand as his the priest of the household and his son. And, and, and even if we're not making the best decision, but we stand on the decision and we stand on because we say, I believe this is what God would have for our family because you prayed about it, because you believed it and you, and it, it, and it adds up biblically and logically in principle, then stand on the decision. And if it is not the right one at the right time, at least they know that you were confident in what you thought. And then you have to just deal with the fact you say, Lord, I did it. 
show me another way. And you can be humble enough to say, well, listen, I stood on it. I believe God in it. It's not the right timing. It may not have been the best decision for this moment, but I still stand on, if I had to make that choice again and not knowing the results, I would have done it again. We have to have that confidence because our children have to see that, that we have confidence in God and our principles and what we stand on. Our wives and, and the people around us have to know that this is how you stand on what you believe, you know, but you got to also stand on the principles of God and things that God honor. If you stand on the things that God honor, which is his principles and his laws, he's not going to not do it. He has to do it. Even if it's not like how you saw it, it's still going to come to pass and then he'll show you how to do it better. That's how I make it through life with my children. They look at me now and say, man, you got the craziest faith. I can. I was unemployed when I first met Brian. I was unemployed, had no money. And um, guy kind of said, hey, I got a building that you can look at and uh, come take a look at the building. I'm like, man, I make $109 a week unemployment. He says, that doesn't matter. I just want you got to have faith. And I'm like, faith? I didn't understand. So we went outside of this meeting and this guy had a Porsche. He was a home. You remember that, Brian? There was a guy who was homeless uh, maybe like a couple weeks before we met. And he shows up in this blue, baby blue Jag one day. Then he shows up in this Cayenne type, uh, um, whatever it was, Porsche. And I'm like, so I just rubbed my hands on it because I was like, if you were homeless just over a couple months ago and now you're married, you got this motorcycle, you got this. And, and he was like, just come and touch it. He says, because I just believe God's going to honor your faith. And he was moving off of faith. And so that's where I just said, you know what? My One of my greatest gifts is faith. And I just stand on the faith of God and his principles. And he'll always come through. So I end up coming into a building that was 8,000 square feet. And I'm making $109 a week in unemployment. And so I got on the phone with the guy in the, in the building. He says, I want $5,000 a month. And I was like, I have no $5,000 a month. He said, what do you have? And I was like, mm, 1500 he says, since you know God, I'll do it for fifteen hundred. I was like, oh, I don't even have fifteen hundred. But God had to honor. He ended up honoring the whole fifteen. I ended up having to move out of my home and move into this building. He lowered it to a thousand. I said, we can do that. But I said all that to say is because I stood on what God said He would do for me because He said start a church. I didn't want to. Then God had to, he maneuvered the decision that seemed like it wasn't the best. We got rid of our five bedroom house to move into a warehouse of a building. And then God dropped the price and then where we were able to start our businesses and start church. And we've been here 10 years and it's all God. And so faith and principles is what you stand on and it'll show up later. The fruit of it will come. So. No, I, this is, this is powerful. This is so helpful because these, these are, these are fundamental principles that are affecting a generation that's being raised in our, our world today, all over the world, a different way of thinking. That doesn't exist. It's it's all external. And even like you're talking about in making the move and making the decisions, somewhere along the lines, I've never done the popular thing. I've never enjoyed the popular thing. I've never wanted to do the popular thing. Uh I'm not saying that's the best for everything or always that always leads to the greatest path. But there's something that I, I came to this point where, God, I don't want you to do it for me anymore. I really want to know you as a father and I want you to father me. I don't want another miracle. I don't want now you don't have to not do miracles. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not, I, I'm not looking to you just to get a miracle, and then I'm back in the same spot again, and then another miracle, and then I'm back. That, that became so stressful 
just father me so I can think differently and we could do this. And that began the journey together. But it really came to the point, it was really at the time, Bernardo, that we were meeting and you were giving to me and you didn't have anything to give and I didn't have anything to offer. And we just were we're doing this. But God was doing something. God, God was, was bringing pieces together. And in those moments where I was making that decision, I came to the point saying, you know what, God, I trust you. And I'm going to make decisions within the framework that I understand at this point, right? Because 2020 is always great. We can look back through history and say, well, they should have done this, this, and this. You weren't there when they were making decisions. You weren't there when they had to blaze through. You weren't there when Abraham had to go offer his son up. You weren't there. It's easy to look back and nitpick and say, well, if I, if I was there, I wouldn't have struck the rock, rock twice like Moses did, and he could have gone in and joined the whole promised land. You weren't there to know that's what Moses knew. And so God knows what you know in the moment that you know it, and you stand with him. Yeah. And so it's in those those things that those begin become a pillar that I don't care what other people say. I do. Don't get me wrong. No one lives to be mass rejected. No, we, we like we like to be accepted. We like to be like, I mean, that, that's normal. But there came a point where God, I believe you're telling me to do this, and I'm going to step out into it. and if it doesn't work, we'll learn together. That's that's me looking at failing forward. I'll still be better if I fail at that. I'll still be stronger if I fail at that. But in in moving forward in that, I came to a point where, God, you're real. You're more real to me than the man next to me. You're more faithful to me than the man next to me. So your opinion of me is the only opinion that matters. Now, don't get me wrong. We're all moved by negative opinion. We don't like it. But at the end of the day, your opinion of me is the only one that matters. So I'm going to just stay in that opinion. And that helped build, and it made me more compassionate. It made me more loving. It made me more being able to observe other people's worlds because I was secure in his opinion of me and that strength. And, and those pieces, then I can do my role. I don't want to do Bernardo's role. I don't want to do your role, Jason, because I'm going to fail miserably at it. I only can do my role. And so uh, those are those foundation pieces of, of fathering, and then we want to bring other people into it. And so I, I really think this foundation of family, of what a, what a father looks like, what a man looks like, what a mother looks like, what a woman looks like in their roles, is such a deep framework that even the conflicts that we have in our modern world, if we had a stability of who we are, and, and a value of principles, we won't agree, but at least we'd have a stability to get through those arguments and those disagreements and, and wrestle through them together to come to a different resolve. And I, I, I think this is just core. Yeah, I, I don't think that people understand that fathers need to have a level of courage. Courage has been, I think about the Lion of uh, Wizard of Oz and how um, though he was the lion, he was supposed to have courage, not because he was the biggest or he was the meanest. It's just that he was supposed to be a man. He's supposed to have courage because um, there's things out there that's bigger than him and more dangerous. But you still got to have the, the confidence to walk in this world, to know that there's danger out here. But I'm encouraged that God is with me and I'm going to walk through this valley of the shadow of death. That means death is around me. So the shadow of death 
is around me, that just the shadow of it. But the shadow of it, and the only thing have a shadow is something that has a sun or something else beaming off of it another way. And so even though the as men, as fathers, we still have to walk with confidence as a lion in the face of danger so that our children can see us walking through valleys. And a lot of times our children don't see us walking through valleys because we are not strong enough. And I say we as a whole to walk through these things of faith and we don't know how it's going to come out. But our children, my daughters, when they see me as a man, they know that my husband has to have some type of faith. He may not have any money, but he has to have faith. My dad may not be the richest man, but whenever he says he's going for it, he goes for it. And he may not get all of it, but he's going to get some of it. My daughters, my sons, when they see me, no matter what they say, whatever I say, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. It may sound crazy, look crazy. My wife may even have a question mark above her head. But as a father with a family, they need to see that courage is something that you got to have as a man so our family can say, you know what, when he's gone, he had courage and this is how we have to move. Our children need to see courage. Our wives need to see courage. Even though we know it's dangerous out here, we know that we may not be the, the sharpest knife in the box. We just know we have to go out there and show them, hey, this is what courage looks like. We know that there's danger out there, but we have as a man, as our role, as a father, as a priest, as a pastor, as a leader in the community, they need to see us standing for what's right and take the darts as they come. But when God shows up and he shows the fruit of his faith, our faith in him, then people will say, wow, you have faith that I don't. And it will cause them to call on the Lord and say, you know what? You are God because you brought him and her and them out of out of things that seem impossible. And back to, and to your miracles. When miracles happen, miracles happen because God has to intervene. And I hear your heart. You don't want God to have to intervene in something that we can do with the strength that he gives us. So I understood what you're saying about miracles. I don't want another miracle. I don't want him to have to intervene because I didn't get it done or I didn't have the courage or the faith to want to do it because he's given me as my father, he's guiding me. I don't want to have to come in and do it and that's what miracles, a lot of times miracles are, is when he has to intervene because something broke down somewhere, you know, and he said, you know, the only way it's going to get done is if I intervene. That's the intervention of God in this world that we had authority to release certain things to happen. We didn't release it. He said, let me go ahead and just jump in this because they didn't pray to me. They didn't release those things from heaven. They didn't bind things on earth. So let me go ahead and intervene. And then the miracles happen. And we're like, oh. or if we do say I need a miracle now because I don't have the strength to do it and the enemy is around me. Okay, then, but we've released it and it's our authority that he's given us. So I, I totally understand, but courage is what we need to have is, as a, uh, as a family. That principle of courage, it's, it is scary how often that is coming up in different circles, especially the last few weeks that I've been seeing. It's almost as if there's something that is, that is underlying all this, that is like screaming out for this courage to come back because you can approach the world from an idea of, you know, it's dangerous and you need to be protected from that danger because it can hurt you. And I don't know if you could survive that or make it through that. So let me protect you. But that leaves people weak. That leaves people helpless. But a father comes in and says, yeah, the world is just as dangerous as it seems, but I can walk with you through it and you can become stronger and you actually do have what it takes to make it through and to thrive and to grow 
and to become something and to make a difference and making to influence the world around you. There's two very different perspectives. And I think for too long, we've been content with the the safe idea of let's just try to remove the problems. And we think that if we can just remove all the problems and remove all the bad things, then that's going to fix the world. But I mean, I'm, I'm only 34 years old and I've already figured out you're never going to create a world where there's no problems. You're not going to create a world where there's no evil, where there's no terrible things happening. What you can do is make people stronger and more courageous. And I think that is one of the biggest reasons we need to see the father reintroduced in every area of life, because that's the only place you can get it from. And ultimately it starts with God seeing him as the father. Well said, Jason. And in observing the, what you were talking about with courage you didn't live courage from, I'm a risk taker, so I'm going to go parachuting. I'm going to go sky. I'm, I, you know, you're just going to do all these things because I'm going to be brave. You're not talking about that courage. You've been. It's a self-sacrificial stance that there's a there could be a benefit, but there also could be a calamity. But I'm still not going to move because it doesn't just benefit you. It's actually to the benefit of everyone around you, even if they don't know it at that time. And so that, 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 that act of courage has a deeper depth, but it comes from, Bernardo, you're like that because you're secure. You're secure in you. You're still growing. There's still more in you. We're, we're excited every day as more of you comes out, but, but there's a security in that, in that you. So that way, when you make a stand that's hard, it could have rep- ramifications but you're okay with that and you're willing to own that because it benefits everyone around you the fake bravery of our world is doing brave things but you don't have to be responsible for it and you get the accolades for doing it and so it's and it's very short term and short-sighted and it's not there's not a depth of longevity that is powerful that puts you into a place as a rock and a pillar as a stable place for those around you. And I, I love that. I've seen that in your life and I you know you didn't really describe it that way, but uh that re- would you agree or would you see is that is that an accurate Yeah, well, when you, yeah, well, when I found out what my gifting was, it gave me strength and, and courage to say, "Okay, I'm going to work in this gift." So my the gift of faith allowed me gift of faith, hospitality and the prophetic gift when I understood that those were the top three of all the whatever the Lord allowed me to have in my gifting, then it gave me the confidence to know that, okay, I have strong faith, then I'm going to stand on faith because this is, and I start reading all the scriptures of faith and, and, and the stories of faith and how faith worked in the lives of others and how I applied it to my life here in the real world now. And like, you know, I said, well, I'm going to stand on faith. I know it's my gift. And I don't know what the consequence or the repercussion or the blessings go. I know if I do it, then I will be able to be what God would have me to be. So I try not to go outside of those lines of my gifting because it allows me to have the confidence that you or someone else may see. And to me, it's like, this is my way of life. You know, my wife, she's like, you just bananas. I'm like, no, this is my gift. So if I stay in this gift, then God's going to always honor that because my gift will make room for me in those areas, you know, so the gift is making room for me to be able to receive something that my money does not even have. I don't even have the money to, I don't have the finances, but my faith gives me favor. And so the favor gives me access to certain places I shouldn't have based on money. But then people wonder, how did you get here? My faith, you know, 
What do you mean? Just don't worry about it. Because I know that that's the only way I'm going to get in certain doors. It's the only way I'm going to get in certain things. And when I walk into a room, I'm only going in faith. And I'll tell people, listen, I'm here only because of faith. You know, if there's something you can do, fine. If not, fine. And so that's what you're seeing uh, over the years is like, I'm here off of faith. I was incarcerated. I just knew I'm coming home off of faith. I was not going to do anything. It's a whole nother story, but I just believe that faith is what brought me home. Faith is what's keeping me where I am. Faith is what's going to take me where I'm going. And that, and that's those four components. And you probably heard us talk about that so much, Bernardo, but you described all four of them. Identity, know who you are, know where you're from. And when I'm saying from, there's a point to your natural father, but knowing God as a father, knowing who you're from, your strength, which is your gifts, your talents, your your communication, your interaction with those things, getting into your vein, and then working with them. You got to develop them, not develop them like to make them be there, but to exercise them, make them strong. And that builds that courage, that resolve to stand, which in the end influences everybody around us, which that's what everybody wants is influence. But true influence yeah. has those building blocks that get you to that point that keep you where you actually benefit other people and don't extract from other people. And I've seen that all those four pillars work in your life. It's a, it's amazing to see it in action. Yeah. We're going to have to spend an entire podcast. I think just getting more of your story. Cause man, there's some power in that. And the more I hear about you, Bernardo, the more I like you, man, I haven't heard you talk about something yet where I'm like, man, I wish that guy would just shut up. He's got all the wrong things to say. So, <laughs> but Kit, no, really, Kit, we're at three in the morning. Then I'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> what in the world are you talking? Well, man, I, 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 I said it before on the other podcast is that I don't really, I, I have people that I consider friends, but we don't get to talk much. But this is a moment that I, I'm, I just, I just feel like I'm, I know I'm at home even through cyber cyber home of you know the, the connection i just feel like it just gives me an opportunity to say some things that i'm probably only told in small circles and if it's an opportunity to be able to share with the world and those who listen and i just want to make a difference and because some people just only wonder what it is about us as individuals um but for me it's like i'm an open book i just like to share some of the stories that god has brought me out of and it's an honor to be around people who are just really making it happen. Y'all are making it, y'all are getting it done. And so you make me feel comfortable too. And I, I'm safe. I feel, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You guys make me feel safe to be able to share my heart um, and it not be just another conversation, but it's something that may help someone down the road, even as a black male, especially during this time. Technically, According to the world, we're not even supposed to be having this conversation. We shouldn't be having fun. We shouldn't be having this talk about fatherhood and families. Technically, according to the world, this this should be, oh, so what do you think about you know Black Lives Matter? What do you think about? That's what everybody else is doing. But because we're family, we, we come from the same DNA of God in the kingdom. That, that stuff right now is not priority. What's priority is that we continue to do the will of the Lord and the Father and we continue to still try to help bring people closer to the kingdom and that we're not focusing on those those things that will keep us distracted from our purpose and our goal, which is helping people understand the power of fatherhood from the father in heaven to the fathers here on earth. And 
we can get to the legislation of freeing fathers and not jailing fathers and all that kind of stuff. But I just believe that if we just put this on wax or digital and get it to people where they can hear it, then it would change your perspective. It may get in the hands mm -hmm. of someone who has the power to help free people from prison so they can get back to their children. We just, because God is in it, he can get in the right place and somebody can listen. And before you know it, it could change something, you know? So we have to know that this is not in vain. This is not just having something to do on a Thursday night. This is world changing things. And that God is putting us in this position to be able to just get it to somebody's ear. And then maybe they'll say, you know what? Let's talk to them more and figure it out. And then 300 <laughs> will be here again and be there again and spread out over all over the world and be in all kind of penal systems. You know, that's the goal is to get it to places where there's youth juvie here or whatever. This, the, the system is created through from the kingdom. God is giving you the system. So uh, for me, it's like whatever I can do, whatever I can share to help people understand for uh, to, to cut down for recidivism and all this kind of stuff in the in probation and in in prisons and whatever I'm here um, use me up I want to expire I don't want to die full I want to expire when my time comes I don't die I just expire that means my time is up and then until he does whatever he's gonna do with me in heaven I just want to expire I want to leave empty. You know, I want to add too for those listening is like we're talking about fathering and we're talking about, well, how do I help be that to someone who doesn't have a father? How do I help mentor that process? And rather than sitting here saying, here's the steps to start doing that, I think what it begins with is start listening, start hearing the story, and then let God start placing you, be available. But let God start drawing you in, and you'll find it becomes very easy to get into someone's life. But you don't start out with a mission to just go mentor people or, I'm going to go solve that problem. we got to go fix fathers, so let's start a father movement. That's important, but you got to stop and just listen to those around you. Listen to the story. It says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony, by the story that we experience. And you have to stop and listen to someone else's story. That's why I appreciate, Bernardo, your, your willingness just to sh share your story, because that gives application going, oh, I get it now. Okay, how can, I, how can I walk alongside you and support you and lift you versus how can I come and teach you something so you're better? It, it, mentorship doesn't work that way. It, you're, you're just basically that little thin pole with a wire attached to a new tree. And as that tree grows, you're just keeping it stable in the wind. But that tree will outgrow you and yank you up out of the ground, so you're going to be moved over to another tree. And if we look at mentoring and fathering a lot like that, we're going to be growing a lot more stronger trees and building infrastructure versus coming in and making the people we're mentoring that little stake and a wire attached to your big trunk, and then you're trying to yank them along the way. That doesn't produce anything. Well, we appreciate everybody listening in today, um, especially those of you who are coming back every single week. To keep it up. Keep sharing. Um, keep asking questions too, not just with us, but with the people you interact with every single day. Keep the conversations going. Um, we know times are tough, but you guys are strong, so stay in the fight. And we'll be back next week to do this all over again.